Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Away With Words, a show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. In English, if you're at a loss or you've stopped making progress and you're otherwise stymied, you might say you're spinning your wheels or something like that. But in French, uh, one way to say that translates as you've peddled into the sauerkraut. Peddled into the sauerkraut. Yeah, isn't that gorgeous? I mean, can you imagine peddling your bicycle into a whole bunch of sauerkraut? I think that's so much more evocative. Definitely in the weeds there. Yeah. I got this from a beautiful little book that just came out called The Illustrated Book of Sayings. It's by Ella Francis Sanders. And there are wonderful phrases in this book from all parts of the world. I won't try the original language, but uh, in Turkish, there's a proverb that translates as grapes darken by looking at each other. Oh. Can you imagine what that means? Uh, grapes darken... Uh, uh, I don't know. It's like we resemble the company that we keep. Oh, of course. You know, that notion that you're the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. Oh, interesting. Okay. Grapes darken by looking at each other. And there's a Latvian phrase uh, that translates as blow little ducks. And that means they're not telling the truth. If somebody's not telling the truth, you say they're blowing little ducks. <laughs> but little ducks are like popping out of their mouth. Little fuzzy, fuzzy ducklings <laughs> yeah, are popping yeah. out of their lungs. Pust pilites. Pust pilites. They're so picturesque, and proverbs and idioms often contain so much wisdom. So I'm going to share some more of those later in the show. If you'd like to talk to us about anything related to language, we'll talk about slang, a new word, something you heard, something you said, how to write well, how to speak well. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hi, you have a way with words. Uh, hey, this is Sharat. I'm calling from Austin, Texas. Welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, so I'm a long-time listener, and uh, this is my first time calling into the show. So the other day, um, my friend uh, Patrick and Lara, they're having a kid. So we threw a baby shower for, for Lara. When I was doing that, I was talking to Patrick, and I was like, how's he celebrating, you know, the arrival of a new kid in his life? You know, they're having a kid. So we were like, is there an equivalent for, like, men who are, like, having kids? You know, an equivalent, like, baby shower-esque kind of word to celebrate. We were, like, going to go camping and, you know, like, smoke a, smoke some cigars and stuff like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so but we didn't quite know, like, if there's a word for, like, a male equivalent for a baby shower. I mean, it's not a... It's not like he's getting married and, you know, it's like a bachelor party, right? right. Uh, so I was just curious, and I did some light Googling, and I couldn't quite figure it out. So I was like, let me call in. Were, were there only women at the shower for Laura? Uh, no, actually, my friend Patrick was there. Okay, so, uh, so the shower the baby was... And, uh, and uh, you know... So the baby shower was for him also, but it was probably very feminine. They tend to be, don't they? Yeah, I mean, you know, there were, like, games and, you know, with, like, diapers. You had to make, like, a castle or something. I don't know. Like, right. I was just cooking. I was just cooking food, and I was, like, serving everybody. So Well, diapers are for uh, real men, too. But I, 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 Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> the women give each other diapers, and the men go camping and smoke cigars? Yeah, that would be fun, right? <laughs> There's a couple of words that have been tossed around in a, a number of articles about this. Uh, they're, they're all kind of meh. 
but I'll share them with you if you're interested. Man shower was one I heard, which <laughs> sounds yeah. like, for some people, the idea of a really good time. I don't know. Um, suggestive yeah, is something erotic. I don't like erotic. that word, though. It's yeah. too simple. Too simple? Well, there's one that's yeah. really complicated, which I think is a terrible blend of words. It's dad chiller party. So it's bachelor dad party with chiller. dad at the beginning. Dad chiller party. It's Oy. terrible to read and terrible hey? to say and not a good word at all. Oy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Do you have one? No, I mean, I'd like to imagine there's like some funny, like, uh, you know, like some funny word with like play on like um, some dad-esque kind of thing. I don't mm. know. I mean, I know you don't like dad chiller, but I think it sounds funny. So Do you I like know. it just because it's goofy? It dad chiller because it sounds funny, but... Yeah. Probably not a very good word in terms of like you know origins and stuff. Dad chiller party. So so I, I want to get a clear picture. If you're having one of those, it's a bunch of guys, and are there presents involved? They're celebrating the arrival of a baby, right? Yes. What happens there? He just wants to like have one last hurrah kind of deal with uh-huh. just the guys uh, being a single man without a without a kid, you know. So oh, I right. see. Okay, so a celebration of bro time rather than getting the useful things that it will take <laughs> to do the day-to-day care of the baby. Is this what we're saying here? Because he's not going to be unwrapping nappy warmers out there in the camping site, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. No, no, no. Or putting together a stroller or something. <laughs> Although I think that'd be mm-hmm. hilarious if you guys do go out to camp. You should do that. You yeah. should bring all of like, yeah. the babies. Tons of cool baby stuff. Oh, Who yeah. doesn't like open baby stuff? It's all yeah. tiny and cute. Yeah, and play those goofy games. All the goofy baby yeah. games. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, that could be fun. Like, it could just be like, a, you know, we could be teasing him and we could just play like baby games and be like, this is what you have to do. So let's just prepare <laughs> it, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> teach him how to teach him. You know what you should do? You should bring dads to the campsite who already know all yeah. the dad stuff and teach him. Here's how you change ah, a diaper. This is how you burp the baby, right? This is this yeah. is these are the things that you need to say to your wife when she thinks you haven't been helping enough. Right, right, and then do some drumming. Everybody's sitting around <laughs> in a circle. Yeah, but pass okay. on that wisdom. It needs to be passed but, on. But let's go back to the linguistic stuff because that's what we're here for. Oh, we are. I really think that baby shower is totally fine, whether or not it's a male-centric or female-centric party. But if okay. if, if I said there's a baby shower next week. I just I have a different. Pi- okay. I mean I know it would yeah. require the context, but, but we I, can we can we can alter that, right? Hmm. It's a baby shower and everyone's invited. Bring your husband, and then you problem hmm. solved. Yeah, yeah, could be both sexes, right? Yeah. Bring grandpa. Have yeah. the, have the cousins show up, the male cousins, yeah. right? Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, I I'm like it shouldn't be gender specific. So yeah, I'm I'm more than happy to use the word baby shower when we go camping. We'd be like, hey man, we're throwing you a baby shower. We're gonna go camping next or, week. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I love that. But I love where you were headed before with something super goofy like baby palooza or. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. I would. Yeah, wanted to be funny. Yeah, that's that's like a big priority for me. So. Well, I bet we could get some suggestions <laughs> from our listeners. What would you call a male centric baby shower? Yeah. Let us know. Words at waywardradio.org, 877-929-9673. And if you've had one, what did you do there? Yeah. Was it any different than the female-centric ones? <laughs> yes. Was it? Okay. <laughs> We'd love to hear about it, though. Sheree, thank right. you for calling. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much right. for taking my call. Um, enjoy the show. All right. Good day. Bye. Thank okay, you. Take care Best now. of the happy Bye-bye. couple. Dad chiller party? No. Dad no. Kind of, Never. I have to say, I kind of like it. But no, like man, sh- no one, no. Can't, can't no there, there's so many things wrong with man shower. I can't. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking like so many different the ways. Wrong parts of Manhattan at the wrong time of night is what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I'm thinking.
Anyway, if you've got suggestions for Sherrod on what you call a male-centric baby shower, you let us know, and we'll share them with everyone in a future show. 877-929-9673. My friend Lindsay and I have been friends for decades now. We go back like car seats. <laughs> that phrase the other day and i just loved it go (laughs) back like car seats (laughs) and it's been around for a while it's been around since at least 1997 97 that means you go back way back right way back (laughs) into the way way back of the station wagon (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly 877-929-9673 hello you have a way with words hi this is rachel from minneapolis minnesota hello rachel how you doing I'm well. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Welcome to the show. What's going on, Rachel? Well, I have a question for you about the words liberal and libertarian. I know the ideologies are very different, uh, but to me, the words sound really similar. I remember hearing the word libertarian first when I was in college in the early 2000s and thinking that they were somehow related. Um, But I'm wondering if the words are related, even if maybe the ideologies are not. You've summed it up very, very well, as a matter of fact. These uh, words have gone by lots of different definitions over the years and applied to lots of different ideas, and people will argue till the cows come home over what exactly they mean. But you're absolutely right that both of them look similar because they go back to uh, the Latin root liber, meaning free. And they found their ways into English in different ways. Um, For example, the word libertarian was formed by analogy from an existing English word, liberty. And the other one Mm -hmm. came to us via French from Latin. Libertarian uh, shows up in the late 18th century as somebody who believes in the doctrine of free will. And it's formed from the English word liberty uh, by analogy with other kinds of words like necessitarian which is a a believer in necessity or someone who believes that human conduct is dictated by circumstances as opposed to free will, or Unitarian, for that matter. Unitarian is a word that's been around for centuries. Actually, the U.S. Libertarian Party wasn't formed until 1971. That late, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's unexpected. And the word liberal has been around for hundreds of years with lots of different definitions. Um, It was used in the 16th and 17th century as a term of reproach to uh, criticize people who were too liberal, meaning free of restraint. Um, Right. And uh, like libertines might have been liberal. Yeah. 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 That's a good connection. And then it uh, took on the the political sense uh, later. Um, in the mid-19th century, the, the sense that we think of today, a person of liberal political principles. Interesting. So uh, are the etymologies of the words connected in any way other than the, that root of liberty? Because they just sound so similar to me. Um, not really. No, okay. there was a point at which liberal kind of uh, definition of liberal in pol- political senses kind of matched the definition of libertarian that some people use today. And I hope you hear all the caveating and hedging I'm doing <laughs> I hear there, it. because you can have two separate groups of libertarians, and they'll have two separate ideas of what a libertarian is. But generally, they just go back to the same root. So you get the kind of coincidences that happen with the shared etymological root. But once they move out of their parents' house, words are their own thing. They are their <laughs> they're their own adults to make their own life decisions. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's really helpful. Thank you so much. Glad to help, Rachel. Thank you. All right. 
Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. There are some great political jokes to come to mind. Can I tell you one? Oh, please. <laughs> How many libertarians does it take to change the light bulb? Oh, uh, no idea. Just let the market decide. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Send your complaints about my libertarian jokes or your own libertarian jokes to words at waywardradio.org or call us at 877-929-9673. couple of great sayings from Hindi, one of which translates as half-filled pots splash more. That's hard to say in English. Half-filled pots splash more? Uh-huh. It's sort of like in English we say empty vessels make the most noise. That is, somebody who has very little real knowledge tends to proclaim things really loudly. Mm -hmm. Empty heads echo the most. Uh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Half-filled pots splash more. And another one from Hindi that I really love is... Who saw a peacock dance in the woods? Also hard to say, but you did very well. Uh, thank you. Who, thank what you. does that mean, who saw a peacock dance in the woods? Well, I would think our friends in, in uh, advertising and marketing would, would like this because it means even a good thing has to be publicized if it's going to be acclaimed. Okay. Gotcha. Who saw a peacock dance in the woods? Right. You know, if it's dance, it's sort of like if a tree falls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Who's seen? Unless you promote it. 877-929-9673, and I'll promote our Facebook page. You are listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and we're joined once again by that man of mystery, John Chinesky, our quiz guy. Hi, John. Hey, Grant. Hi, Martha. What hey. is up? Well, I, as you know, I'm trying to promote puzzle solving as a way to keep your brain sharp. Okay. And ho mm -hmm. hopefully train yourself to look at situations with an analytical eye. Mm. All situations, hopefully. Yes. Any kind of puzzle is great. But as you know, I recommend cryptic crosswords. Uh, every, every clue in a cryptic crossword is a little mini puzzle. And they mm. fall into about a dozen different categories. And we've, we've talked about these before. But today we'll play with what are called container clues. Now, with a container clue... The wordplay half of the clue tells you to put one word inside another. For example, if the definition half is kind of potatoes, the wordplay might read, she is in mad. And if you put the word she in the word mad, you get a kind of potatoes. Mashed. Mashed. Yes, or shamed if they're feeling bad about themselves. <laughs> well, that, there's a little bit of an anagram in that, in, in that uh, situation. But, uh, so yeah, it goes one, in oh, unanagrammed. The whole word just goes right inside somewhere oh, between see. the letters. Okay. Yeah. But good, good knowing about shamed. So Very you don't good. mix them up like yes. potatoes. Okay. We'll take it nice and easy. In fact, for the ones we're going to be using, the inside word will always be two letters. It'll be two-letter words inside three-letter words, okay? Cool. Okay. Good. Now get a pen and paper just in case. Here we go. Let's try. The wordplay is at is in sin. Satin. Satin. Very good. At is in sin. You get put at in sin. You get satin, a smooth, shiny cloth. Here's the next one. Is is in ale. Aisle? No. Aisle, yes. Is Passage it? between rows of seats hmm. is in ale. That's all you need for that is, is the, the two is's would be superfluous. Passage between rows of seats is in ale. How about we is in ten? Tween? Tween. A middle schooler say. Yeah, middle schooler say we in ten. Very good. Us is in fed. Us is in fed, Fused? right? Fused, yes, to join together as one. Joined together as one. 
Finally, in the uh, five little words, ox is in tick. Toxic. Toxic, yes. Harmful to ingest. Oh. <laughs> ox is in tick. Let's try some three-letter words in three-letter words. Okay? She is in did. Dished? Yes, to deal out some gossip. She dished some gossip. Or he dished some gossip. R is in red. Reared? Not reared, no. Reared? Reared, yes. To brought up a child. Brought up a child, R in red. How about Ash is in say. Sachet. Sachet, yes. Sashay. To walk confidently. Shanté. Walk confidently. Ash in say. Here's a good one. All is in bad. Ballad. Say again? Ooh, Ballad. Yeah. Ballad, yes. It's a good clue right there. All is in bad love song. You break that and you get the, uh, the, the parts to get the word ballad. Finally, pun is in sky. Spunky. Spunky, yes. Lively pun is in sky is a good, perfect, simple cryptic clue for the word spunky. But uh, yeah, but you spunky guys did very, very well on your container clues. Nicely Thanks, done. Appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs> always appreciate the quiz. We'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Or join us on our Facebook group. Just look for Away With Words and join thousands of other people talking about language. Hello. You have Away With Words. Hi. This is Anne. Hi, Anne. Where are you calling us from? Carmel, Indiana. Carmel. Okay, well, a Hoosier. Yeah, welcome to the show. What can we do for you? Thanks. Um, I uh, work in a grade school, and this is my 10th year, and I've just noticed a few words this year from some teachers that I've never noticed them pronounced the way they pronounce them. Um, a good example would be the word... Uh, spelled K-I-T-T-E-N. And being a Hoosier, and I don't know, I haven't talked to a lot of people from all over, but being a Hoosier, I pronounced it kitten or mitten. Now, this year, a few teachers, I've been in classrooms, and I've noticed they say kitten, like K-I with a marked break, U-N, or mitten. So not only do they leave out the the T sound, but it's just really obvious. And this is the first time I've ever noticed this. Mm-hmm. These are um, teachers. Yes, teachers, and I work with. And it's mostly women. Uh huh. Um, and I mean, I would say the age range is, you know, twenty five to fifty. But I would say a lot of them are younger. And do your students say it as well? That way, kitten. Yes. So I don't know if it's. It's, if it's a lazy pronunciation, I never even thought about it because I guess, like I said, most people say kitten, but at least in this area. But when someone, you know, when you're hearing someone teach and they say, you know, they put on the mitten, you're like, what? <laughs> what word? All right. We've got some information for you. We can help you with this. And uh, first, anytime you think that it might be a lazy pronunciation that you hear people say, it probably isn't. So we're just going to discard that idea for now. Almost always, especially when a lot of people are doing it, we can look at it like a scientist or a sociolinguist and say, all right, I've got data here that I can analyze and I can come up with a conclusion. And as a matter of fact, that's what sociolinguists have done for this particular thing, which is called 
glottalization, G-L-O-T-T-A-L-I-Z-A-T-I-O-N, glottalization, and I win the spelling. Wow. Um, <laughs> and there's a fellow by the name of David Eddington at Brigham Young University who, with some of his colleagues, has published a few papers on this phenomenon. And what he's discovered is that generally it happens for people in their 20s or early 30s and young women, but particularly from the western part of the United States. Now, that doesn't mean it couldn't happen in Indiana or Rhode Island, but in the data that he gathered, which admittedly was a smaller sample size, that's what he found. What's happening here is, as in other dialects of English, such as Cockney, which everyone knows, is bottle, right? His, instead of his bottle or bottle, mm-hmm. his bottle. Right. Um, we have increasing glottalization where there's a place where we've got a T sound surrounded by vowels. And so it's not just in words like mitten and kitten, um, but you might also have it in words like Netflix, where you most people don't say the T. Try it, Netflix. If you're consciously saying it, if you're self-conscious about it, you'll probably say it. But the number of people who pronounce the T in Netflix approaches zero. Most Americans, at least, or North Americans who speak English say Netflix. Try it. It's pretty cool, right? But we do it in other things like um, Bill Clinton. A lot of people, the T doesn't appear. It's a glottalized, mm-hmm. right? And the glottis mm-hmm. is this little thingy in the back of your throat. And so what happened is you are, you're having a sharp kind of uh, of air instead of doing the T sound with your tongue on, the, on, the, on, your, on your mouth. So it's way back it's instead way of back, up at the front. That's right, way back yeah. instead of in the front. And those double T words kind of are prone to that, but they're not the only place that it happens. It happens in it's short words, too, like the words like bat, B-A-T. If you hear people who are speaking unselfconsciously and using the word B-A-T, they're very likely to say bat without a T, bat. It just kind Mm -hmm. of stops. There's a gust of air in the back of their throat, bat, Mm -hmm. and there's no T in it. But in any case, yeah, so what what you found is a change in some of the American ways of speaking. It is a growing dialect feature of American English. So it's not lazy. No. You're Wow. No, it's not lazy. It's just something they've learned from their cohort, from their peer group. We speak mostly like the people around us. We speak mostly like the people that we go to school with and we work with, and a little bit like our parents and family. Okay, yeah, I can I can see that, absolutely. So in 100 years, it could be that we, the whoever takes over the show from me and Martha takes a, a <laughs> phone call or a vid call or whatever they call it at the time. From somebody who says, yeah, all these people aren't glottalizing the word mitten and kitten like they're supposed to. What's <laughs> happening with that? And it's going to be unusual. Isn't it interesting? Absolutely. Because, you know, even at my age, you learn something new every day. You do. You sure do. And thank you so much for your call. We really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thanks for the field research. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank okay. you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673 is the place to submit your field reports about language or send us an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Yeah, hi. This is uh, Jerry Pars calling from Hell's Kitchen, New York. Hi, Jerry. How you doing? Hey, Hell's Jerry. Kitchen. Uh, somewhere up there in the 50s, yeah. on the 50s on the west side, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I live on 48th Street. 48th Street. Right huh? between 8th and 9th. I know that area well. Well, uh, the other day I was uh, I was out and I got caught in the rain, and I thought to myself uh, as I was heading back home that I needed to go and change my duds. And I thought to myself, why am I calling clothes duds? And I was pretty sure that it had nothing to do with uh, misfired ordnance or firecrackers that didn't go off or something like that. This doesn't seem related to clothing. And uh, I thought, well, I'm going to just have to 
check with Martha and Grant on this one because uh, I can't find anything on it. And the only other thing I was thinking was I remember there's a, a, a laundry product called Suds, but I think Duds is spelled D-U-D-S, not D-U-D-Z, as Suds would be S-U-D-Z. Right. So maybe I thought maybe you could help me on this. Well, we can offer a little bit of help. Um, the origin of duds is not really clear. We can tell you it's a super old word. It goes back to around 1300 or so. Oh, I wasn't around then. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't? I didn't pick it up then. Well, I maybe picked it up in an earlier life. <laughs> it could have been. Yeah, if you were running around in uh, 1300, you would have worn a uh, a cloak or a mantle called a dud d-u-d-d-e and then really yeah yeah it was usually of coarse cloth um not anything particularly appealing and then later in the plural duds came to mean ragged clothing and and over time it just came to mean generally uh clothes and personal effects so it's been around a very 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 long time so it doesn't come from the idea of dud like like uh like munitions failing to go off although it may have influenced uh, the term dud. How would that be? In that sense. Well, uh, for a while, dud also meant something that was sort of counterfeit, and therefore uh, I could see how that would be applied eventually to something that doesn't do what it was promised to do. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so it's it's generally a, a kind of pejorative term, or at least it was early on. But and, for clothes now, it's kind of neutral. Yeah, my duds. Jerry, thank you so much for your call, dude. Thank you very much for uh, clearing that up. That's good to know. All right, take thank care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So pervasive throughout English, right? Duds. Duds is pretty uh-huh. common, but it does sound like modern slang. I know, doesn't it? I was really surprised to learn that it goes all the way back. 1300s, 1300s, 14th century. That's that's incredible. But how many of the words, they have to start somewhere. They do, right? right? Duds. D-U-D-S, duds, close. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Give us a call, 877-929-9673. Email us at words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. The other day I emailed a friend that I had some news to share with her, but I didn't have enough time to tell her what it was. So I wrote film at 11. Mm-hmm. And I realized there's a whole generation. <laughs> that doesn't know what that is. That doesn't know. And then not only do they not know what it is, they have to have it defined in Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Urban Dictionary, which explained that before there was YouTube and things like that. There was the late night local news. And announcers would come on during the commercial breaks of primetime TV shows and say whatever would get viewers to stay on that channel and watch the news. So they describe something that would intrigue the viewer's curiosity, then say, film at 11. The actual film shown at 11 rarely lives up to the hyped expectations. I can't believe I was having to read a definition of that on Urban Dictionary. That's going to happen more and more, Grant. A squirrel in a top hat, film at 11. <laughs> <laughs> it was 10 p.m. where I grew up, but still the same principle. Really? And a oh, lot of, right. Yeah, a lot yeah. of people trace the jokes about this to the Kentucky Fried movie. Google that. I haven't. Yeah, I Kentucky haven't Fried. Watched m- it. They use that that kind of construction, that oh, kind of they do. That newsiness as a, as a way of kind of making fun of the news business. Oh, interesting. Film at 11. Right, and now it's film 24-7, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. Film in just two minutes, and then we're going to run it ad nauseum for the next 48 hours. And then fake news in your Facebook feed. (laughs) 877-929-9673.
Hello, you have a way with words. Good morning. This is Libby Davis from Coronado, California. Hi, Libby. Welcome to the show. Hi, Libby. What can we do for you today? Well, I have a group of lady friends that uh, we meet regularly. Most of us are widows that live alone, and we're used to coping with uh, little emergencies that come up every day. I mean, your aging house is breaking down around you, or God help us, your your aging body is breaking down. (laughs) So every day you say, oh, what is the challenge today? We were talking at lunch and saying how we were feeling very sad that one of our friends who had a medical emergency a couple of months ago hadn't snapped back. She just crumbled and wasn't leaving her home and joining us in activities we'd always done together. And I said, well, her get up and go is just gone. And Clessy said, she needs to grab a root and growl. And I said, wow, I've never heard that. I love it. Grab a root and growl. It's not only got resiliency, it's got tenacity. Mm-hmm. And I said, where did you get that? She said she heard it from her mother-in-law, who was from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Uh-huh. And she didn't know anything about it. None of us had ever heard it before. What do you know? What do we know? But first, I want to say that her get up and go was gone is also a great turn of phrase. I love that. Yeah, get up and go, got up and went. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> and I know the feeling. I do, particularly when you're coming out of like a, you know a few days of not feeling well, and you're like, oh, I just want to lie here like a lump. So the grab a root and growl. We're thinking probably R O O T for root, right? Like the root of a plant or a tree or something That's like that. That's what we're figuring. Some yeah. kind of a root of or something. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of root hog or die, mm-hmm. which is another one of these exhortations to figure it out, make do, find your guts, muscle on through. Um, yes. To, to heave ho, put your shoulder to it, whatever your, whatever your exhortation is to get somebody to do the thing that they need to do. Hang on. Hang on. Get in there. Do it. Fight. Be tough. Um it doesn't have a deep history, but it's 100 years old at least. I find it in some some camping articles and stories about outdoor recreation and climbing in the mountains. Uh, there's a, one particular use of a magazine, which I thought was funny. It's where this Easterner is writing into this magazine about how hard a time he had in the Rocky Mountains. And the editors in the magazine are like, yeah, well, that's because you came out here with your East Coast ways and you didn't come out here and grab a root and growl, which is to do the hard job of making it all work, which is kind of what we're talking about, right? I particularly like the, the growl. You not only oh, hang right. on. There was You're a, almost aggressive about it. There's a yeah. couple places where people have speculated, and I think this is really solid, that what you need to think of when you say this phrase is a dog going after game. Let's say uh, maybe a terrier going after a rat, and the rat has dived into a hole, and the dog's got to clear out the roots and dig down to where the rat is to get his prey, and he's growling the whole time to make his intentions known, and if you just think about it that way, that's the kind of tenacity we're talking about, this fierce kind of almost instinctive desire to win and beat the enemy. Well, there you go, Libby. I've seen one slight variation, which is not grab a root and growl. It's grab, comma, root, comma, 
and growl. So oh. all three main words are verbs, and they're telling you to to grab on, to root in, and then to growl with to show that you've got the guts to do it. Oh, I like that too. Yeah, and that that aligns very well with root hog or die. I think. I think so. Yeah. So Libby, thank you for sharing that uh, phrase with us. Well, thank you for explaining a little bit of how how it came about. Take care now. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, as an unusual word or phrase caught your ear, call us, 877-929-9673, or send it to us in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Somebody sent me an essay the other day. It's by Laura Sakeron Paulette, and this was in the online magazine Ozzy. And I'm not sure how I feel about this essay, so I'm, I'd like to get your thoughts, Grant. She's writing about the word expat, mm-hmm. and she thinks that this word should be retired because she said that, you know, when you say the word expat, you probably think of a couple of adorable British retirees reading Agatha Christie novels while slowly roasting under the unforgiving Spanish sun. But she says that the word expat connotes a certain amount of prestige. Why can't you just say immigrant rather than expat? She thinks it's a racist term. Oh, that's interesting. I'd have to read the whole essay to to counter the whole argument, but um, pretty much everything you've just said is counter to what I understand about the term expat. Mm, what's your understanding well, of it? Well, part of it is you um, don't become a citizen of a new country and are not seeking citizenship. Mm-hmm. You're allowed through various laws and whatever cases to own property or co-own property, and sim- you're simply residing there. Mm-hmm. Um, Another thing about expat, it usually suggests a permanence, but with a connection, a foot still in the other country. So you um, haven't picked up and sold off all of your stuff. Maybe you still own a house in the other country. You still have kids in the other country. Mm. Perhaps you even have a business that is generating revenue for you in the other country, or that's where your retirement funds mm-hmm. are located, that sort of thing. Um, it's almost the same as moving from New York to Florida to live in your retirement, except <laughs> you've crossed a national border. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I was surprised to come across that that essay, and I wasn't sure what I thought. I, I asked a couple of friends of mine who grew up in the United States and moved to Mexico, and mm-hmm. one of them said that she came to that same conclusion, that uh, she she was wondering, why do I get to be an expat? Because I've actually moved to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Why, why am I not just an immigrant? Uh, she felt like using the term racist sort of was too much that that was closing a door mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to discussion, to an interesting discussion. Um, my other friend wasn't bothered by it at all. She says, I call myself a Mexpat. Mm-hmm. And they've moved permanently to Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting. Isn't it? Um, and I could see, but I don't know why there has to be one term or one would force the others out. I could see somebody being an expat and an immigrant or one or the other without definitely being the other one. Uh-huh. Like to me, if, if I were going to immigrate, say, to Sweden, which is a wonderful place, uh-huh. um, that would mean I'm abandoning everything here. I'm, uh-huh. I'm selling it off. Or my roots are done. Or cashing out the accounts. Uh, we're setting up a home or laying out a future. And yeah, I'm going to start a business there or have a job there and live a regular life there. Whereas expat to me does suggest like I'm coasting. I've got funds in the bank. I'm going to the beach mm. every day or I'm hiking in the mountains and I'm, I'm not building a business. and I'm not building a new life there. I'm just simply kind of 
petering out what's left for, of my time on Earth. That's interesting because I think of expats as, as getting together as expats, yeah. you know, in the same way they that They certainly I get do, don't yeah. they? Yeah. The so, English speakers tend to glom onto each other no matter where they are in the world. Exactly. And sometimes, yeah, just have their own little communities without really interacting with the larger community. Yeah, there. That's, I, I wonder if you could take an article about immigration and replace the word immigrant with expat. and, mm-hmm. and, and Yeah, wouldn't that be interesting? And see if people would buy that. Uh-huh. If, it, if that would still work. Yeah. Maybe it's yeah. not so much that expat is racist. Maybe it's more that immigrant isn't always the right word. Yeah, I would love to hear well, from our listeners Well, let's share that on article on the website yeah. so everyone else can throw in their two cents. Excellent. And you can also throw in your two cents by calling us at 877-929-9673 or send us an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello. Uh, this is Eric Autumn calling from uh, Marquette in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Welcome, Eric. What can we do for you? Well, my, my question today is about the phrase, I'll get there or, or I'll be there directly. So I, I'm not originally from the UP uh, here in Michigan. I'm from uh, Eastern Tennessee. And my wife and I uh, were first together. I, you know, she asked me, you know, when are you coming home? And I'd say, I'll be there directly. And when I wasn't there, you know, in the next hour or so, uh, she would be wondering where I was. Um, yeah, and, and to me, I'll be there directly. Uh, man, I, I will get there when I get there. Mm-hmm. To her, it meant exactly what it sounded like. I will get there directly. Mm-hmm. That's the sense I grew up with. Yeah, the, we have okay. these two overlapping senses of directly, one meaning immediately and the other meaning is as soon as possible, and uh, they're in conflict, and they occur in the same parts of the country mostly in the upper American South, with, say, Kentucky, Tennessee, mm-hmm. Arkansas, those sorts of places. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way you can tell is by asking for clarification or just by context alone. And uh, your wife is probably never encountered it before because she's not from Tennessee, so she would not have that uh, she would not have that alternate meaning of that meaning as soon as I, as soon as I can. Um, also, most people probably would be looking for a preposition after directly. So directly after, for example, I'll be there directly after I go to the store or directly after I um, drop off the kids, something like that. So I, I just wonder, uh, it, it's so understood down south that when you, you say that phrase, and you know, as I think about it, I think my grandmother used it more often than, than my parents did. Uh, it was just understood that it would be a long while before you actually got there. And, and I just wonder how you take something that means, you know, directly that, that the understanding is just the opposite. Well, the, the best guess that I have is that it means I'm going to be – I am there directly, but I'm directly after a series of events that have to happen <laughs> exactly. first. Oh, okay. Right? <laughs> exactly. So there's, uh, there's plenty of things in my mind and my itinerary that must occur before I arrive mm-hmm. at, your, if you, at your door. Yeah, but I'm going to get there. So I, do, I am direct, but it's direct <laughs> through these other points on the map. Exactly. So we all understood that. As being in parentheses, and the parentheses aren't up here in Michigan, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, very good. Yeah. They, they have a parenthesis uh, <laughs> a shortage there in Michigan, but we have them all there in the South. An abundance of parentheses. Yeah, and it sounds like music to me. That word is just so musical to me. Yeah, my, I have family in East Tennessee, and, and it's just, it, I think it's just gorgeous. My grandmother from Southeast Missouri <laughs> said it too. I'll be there directly, Grand Andy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Grant Andy? That's what she called me. Grant Andy? Yeah. Just she was Grant the only Andy. one. She was the only one. Oh my gosh. Grant Andy. I'll be there directly. Grant Andy and Martha Ann. <laughs> but directly means kind of to a kid at least, it always meant hold your horses. 
like just you know rein yourself in. I've got a life that you know things to do. Directly means in all due time I will get to it. So she oh, was, a parent talking to a kid. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. my grandmother in particular. Oh, I, remember, I see. Yeah. I see. <laughs> so that's what we know, Eric. How about that, Eric? Well, well, thanks, thanks so much, and I've, I've adjusted my speech patterns to make my wife happy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, marital bliss requires all kinds of compromises. <laughs> I give her definite good. times now. <laughs> thanks well, for calling. Well, keep a stash <laughs> of those parentheses somewhere because because I love the phrase, the expression. Will do. Take care now. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Hi, who's this? This is Mary Beth McManus, and I'm from West Palm Beach, Florida. West Palm. Hi, Mary Beth. How are you doing? Good. What's Good. up? Well, um, I was listening to your show on a long drive on my way back from Canada. About a year or two ago, I noticed uh, someone being interviewed on TV, she started her answer with the word, so. And it seemed very odd to me. It just didn't feel right. And I started noticing it on TV a little more. And a few weeks ago, I noticed uh, a reporter on TV or someone he was interviewing do the same thing. And to me, it it felt very peculiar. It felt like, okay, he was saying, okay, here's how I'm going to answer your question mm-hmm. instead of just answering the question. Mm-hmm. So the word so, I feel, is becoming invasive. invasive. <laughs> I don't know how you professionals feel about it. The way this is usually referred to in the linguistic world is sentence initial so, which basically means so at the beginning of a sentence. And you can actually find some other information we have on this sentence initial so on our website. And what we're finding here is that this is a really common usage. I actually want to quote something from a paper by a woman named Galena Bolden from Rutgers. And she writes in this paper, so prefacing is recurrently used in context where the activity being launched has been relevantly pending, which is a really complicated way of saying, in other words, people use so when they've been aware that the thing that they're about to say was going to have to be said. Like they're launching into a thing that they had mentally or actually physically prepared, which is why you so often see this in interviews. And you kind of mentioned this in uh, a couple different ways that the guy was saying what he was going to say rather than saying it, if that makes sense. He's kind of prefacing his comment. And it's a real legitimate use of this, of so as a, as a conjunction, which is how it's behaving here. And it plugs in very well to some other uses of so where um, I think of the storyteller so, like let's say that you're at the library listening to a storyteller story to kids, and she's like, so here's a tale of Miss Mousy and how she beat the cat, right? And so that, <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. That, I've, I've seen it referred to as a backstory so. Great, yes. Yeah, a, I, yeah. I, think me, of it as, I think of it as the storyteller so, but that's very much the same. Uh-huh. And also it, it's very much related to another use of the preposition so, where let's say you're helping someone with their homework and then you say after you you know explain all this complicated stuff you say so does that make sense and what you're doing here is providing that bridge between an activity or comment to the thing that follows and kind of trying to wrap it up you're looking for the closure of the subject and certainly in these interview situations at least in most of the examples that i see when someone says so here's what we were doing at microsoft when we built this product right it sounds like what they're trying to do is 
assemble all of the data together into a kind of minor narrative arc and just kind of just finish it off and just kind of give the interviewer what they were after. Aha. Well, that's that's really good to know um, that it isn't just me. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. And not it, but, at all. Linguists have been all over this. Yeah, it's not a crutch word either. It's not a filler word. And if you take it out of the sentences where they use it, the sentences' meanings shift. Yeah, I think in a lot of cases it is. Um, I remember as a child it carried a lot of emotion because you would say, so, so what? You know, like, and in, in it, it bared some emotion and not always um, in a positive way. So, <laughs> so, yeah. So, like so many words, has lots of different uses here. And we have to be careful to separate those and not think of this as one large monolithic so that is now being misused because it's not what's happening. It is not a misuse of so. Just to be clear, okay. it's not. Yeah, it conveys okay. a little then bit. I won't judge anybody anymore. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it depends on context and it conveys a certain kind of meaning. As, as Grant was saying, I think of it as replacing well, too. You know, every time I, I mean, and we get this question all the time and people often mention interviews on NPR. Right. Because that's our audience. That's our right, that's our group. Yeah. But um, well has um, kind of fallen away in that. Right. As, that, as a way that you would begin your sentences, uh, your explanation, you right. know, your answer to a question. Yeah. So I kind of get a kick yeah. out of just listening when the when the interviewee takes a breath to, to figure out if they're going to say well or so. Yeah. And if they're older, they tend to say, well. Mary Beth, thank well, you so much for bringing this up. Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. I just want to make sure that we really got to give a good example of the kind of so that she's talking mm-hmm. about before we move on. Okay. Let's say that you are interviewing someone about a book, mm-hmm. and you say, your new book seems like a real departure from your previous novels. Mm-hmm. And then the guest says, or the author says, so I was trying to avoid writing another professor falls in love with student story. Right. right. Uh-huh. And so they are continuing your thought and kind of saying they're kind of yes anding you. They're huh. confirming your question or the thesis of your question and then supplementing it with the information that kind of fills in the details. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I would have said, well, I whatever the answer was. Right. And yeah. for me, well often suggested that my, uh, a contradiction is in the offing. And that we might be encountering some kind of resistance to the thesis of the question. That's another example of it. But I think I think for me, well is sometimes just a, a, a warm up, you know, just kind of a mm-hmm. throat clearing. Well, you could say that. Uh, yeah, well yeah. can be. But um, this is a really interesting. Again, the, the phrase that you need to Google to find out tons about yes. this, uh, either from popular treatments to the academic treatments, is sentence initial so, S-O. And if you want to talk with us about language on the air, call us at 877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Uh, Hello, this is Benjamin from North County. Hey, Benjamin, North County, San Diego? That's right. Are you there on the coast? Oh, right there on the beautiful coast with the beautiful waves. Nice. sweet. Well, what can we do for you? I've been brainstorming on some things I'm sure you know about. Um, one is, where did pig Latin come from, like uh, ixnay on the aquache and the ubberkay? <laughs> <laughs> Say that again? Uh, ixnay on the aquache in the ubberkay. Nix oh. on the chocolate in the and cupboard? Talked about the chocolate in the cupboard. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it's, a, it's pig Latin, and I, I don't know where it came from, but my grandma, if she ever wanted to say anything that she didn't want us to hear, 
she would say that. Oh, okay. That reminds me, my son likes to say that he's fluent in two languages, English and Pig Latin. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. My friend used to say I speak every language except Latin, and no matter what you would ask him, he'd say, That's Latin to me. <laughs> We have a really long history uh, of all these kind of nonsense languages where syllables are reversed or sounds are inserted or things are like repetitively changed in order to make something sound a little non-obvious. And some of it goes back to people imitating sacred rituals and kind of doing a fake, say, um, mass or something like that and, and doing fake, the fake church Latin and that sort of thing. Some of it obviously yeah. comes from school kids, but we have hundreds of years at least of people making these variety of pig Latins. And they're not all the same as the one that you used. Some of them Right. have uh, just uh, adding a syllable or um, changing all the vowels to the same vowel, different things like that. So pig right. in this sense meaning inferior or yeah. or not not the real thing. Yeah, not uh, human. The other one that comes to my mind is where did the term doohickey come from? Because people use that a lot if they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> uh-huh. How do you use doohickey? Well, it would be like if I didn't know where we were going or what tool I was going to use, I'd say, yeah, the doohickey for the whatchamajig. Or what's in the thing? That's mm-hmm. right. And the thingamabob. Yeah, the thingamabob, of course. You got to have that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a whole bunch of those words, too. Yeah, these replacement words, right? They're kind of, uh, they almost behave like pronouns in a way because they vaguely and indeterminately stand in for another specific noun. Uh-huh. Um, whatchamacallit. Whatchamacallit's a good one, right? Uh-huh. Right. Well, yeah, that's just interesting and uh and I really appreciate you guys. It just makes it so fun to just uh, kind of use your brain for a little different things besides what's been going on in the political world. Yeah, we are hey. happy to do that for you. Happy Nicely to put. What do we have? I'm looking in the American Speech here, um, which is a journal about the American language, and there's a variety of things. There's a doohickey, doohickus, doohinky, doohinkus, doohonky, doohunkus. Um, and these all go with thingam and thingamabob, and they all kind of wow. refer to gadgets or widgets and that sort of thing. There's no, unfortunately, they're all origin unknown. Mm-hmm. They're kind of these goofy pass-along things that are really impossible to trace to their roots. Yeah, silly words that are fun to say. Dude, it's been really nice to talk to you. Thanks for calling us. Oh, okay, take care. <laughs> take care, bye. All right. yeah. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Want more Away With Words? Listen to years of past episodes at waywardradio.org or find the show in any podcast app or on iTunes. Our toll-free line is always open, so leave us a message at 877-929-9673 and we'll take a listen. We'd love to get your messages at words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D and look for us on Facebook. This program would not be possible without you. Grant and I are out to change the way we listen and think about language, and you're making it happen. Thanks also to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director and editor Tim Felton, director Colin Tedeschi, and production assistant Emma Kelman in San Diego. In New York, we thank quiz guy John Chinesky and that master of keeping it real, Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc. From the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. So long. Bye-bye.
Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's gum.fm slash words. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.